before we get into our usual spend maybe two hours eight listen we we could be three ah put us on two times speed (sighs) we never mean it to be that long but it's just so much we at this point in the season every year we're both busy for separate things yeah so it ends up almost being cathartic just to take too long with these episodes because we don't see each other that often right it becomes less about creating a podcast episode and more just talking about the things we want to talk about to each other nevertheless though this is still a podcast episode Mm. so we need to get into the nitty-gritty of it all but before we do that we thought it'd be fun to start off with not our top 10 of the year but it in my case my bottom 10 oh you're you're doing 10 bottoms absolutely i'm doing if you want to do five bottoms you can do as many as you want look i love me a bottom but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it lower than that. But you do do what you want to do with your bottom. 10. I mean, I'll be quick okay. with all with all of mine, and then if you have, I'm sure we have a couple overlapping here. Sure. But. So for my bottom ten of the year, in case anyone has heard any of these films, keep in mind if you liked these films, even though I might go to question, hell, if I might question it, I'm glad you at least got some enjoyment out of these films because I certainly didn't. If so, you liked these movies, <clears throat> click off and never listen again. That's right. what he said. Number ten is the Gray Man. Number I was ten I from was, the bottom. I was surprised. Yeah. So like man. so like the closest to being good out of all these films <laughs> is the Gray Man. Yeah. Which is not really that bad of a film, but it is very uh lukewarm is yeah. the way to say it. Especially yeah. with the amount of buzz, the amount of cast in it. And also the Russo brothers, it's like their first action film post endgame, yeah. and it's just like Sure, right. I guess this fits the quota in some way. Well, and if a movie that makes your top ten, <coughs> your bottom ten, isn't like a horrendously awful movie, means you treated yourself fairly well this year. I try to. I try to. There, yeah. there's much worse, and we're gonna get much worse down the line. <laughs> uh, number nine is Choose or Die. That's a Netflix original film oh, yeah. that very much has the vibe of. You know what? I feel like. I was mean to those worst Black Mirror episodes. <laughs> like, it's one of those... It's not a bad film, but it's not that good either. Uh, now we're getting to the bad stuff. Number eight's Uncharted. Uncharted, <laughs> Uncharted yeah. is nothing. It's a film that was in development hell and became nothing but made enough money that we are going to get a fucking sequel. <laughs> so great for that. Uh, number seven is one that both Andy and I both hate, Clerks 3. We've mm-hmm. already talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast. That would make my Clerks bottom 3. ten. Yeah. Uh, number six uh, was one that both Andy and I watched together, but I think we'll never do a trilogy on because it would be too painful. And that is the third film in the Fantastic Beasts series, <laughs> yeah. The Secrets of Dumbledore. Yeah. What a, I guess technically it's not as bad as Grindelwald, but it's, it's not as fun. It's, yeah, either. it's so nothing. It's not as so bad as good as Grindelwald. Yeah. Number five is Morbius. Oh, yeah. Have sex. I need to say that. The funniest part about that film is like 40 minutes in. Number four is Jurassic World Dominion, which is definitely in your bottom ten. Oh, yeah. Uh, Locust. Yeah, Locust Locust World Dominion. Uh, Number three and number two are the second and third film in a trilogy (laughs) that finished this year. It is Netflix original. Uh, If anyone is a fan of Full Metal Alchemist out there... Back in 2017, Netflix got the rights to do the original, like basically in the States to call a Netflix original film to do the live action trilogy. And 2017 had the first one. It's dog shit. It's one of the worst films I saw that year. (laughs) 
And then number three and number two are respectively. Number three is Full Metal Alchemist: The Final Alchemy. That is the American title for that yeah, film. We love translating and titles. The, and then number two is the second film in the series, which is literally almost a zero out of ten for me. Uh, <laughs> so two is, is worse than three. Two is worse than three. Okay. Three is just here because it's like it ends. It has. It to just ends, it. and yeah. it's such a wet fucking fart of a film. Yeah. And then two just pisses me off, and that's the <laughs> Revenge of Scar. Okay. And then number one, we literally just talked about it last episode. It's Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio. <laughs> that is my least favorite film of the year, and every time I think about it, yeah, it doesn't get any. It doesn't get any less worse. Yeah, it doesn't get any better. There's just nothing good about that movie. Yeah, truly, is like it's one of those films. I think, basically number five down so like from morbius to pinocchio if it's like if i could put a zero i could on litter box i would yeah and it's not the case with that so like you just have to do with what you got so yeah those are my least favorite films of the year and again if you like some of these films i'm glad you had a good enjoyment enjoyable time with them you found something we could not yeah because Um, i certainly fucking can with these Yeah, um, I had some stinkers as well. Some that you already mentioned. Pinocchio, right there at the bottom with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you still put Dominion under that? I look on my letterboxed ranking. Uh, Pinocchio is my bottom ranked. I, I gave it the bottom spot after we talked about it on the mm-hmm. podcast. It deserves it. Um, I think I'm more angry at Dominion. Oh yeah, which I get is that. my second from the bottom. I have, I have, I'm more upset about Dominion, but at least that's an emotion that I felt watching it, which yeah. is not something I felt during Pinocchio. Angie, Pinocchio, I, I was upset that, that I was watching it. Dominion, yes. I was upset at what the movie was, which oh, felt I've, like a oh. more visceral response. Again, Locus, they right, will never right. let that go, and I don't think anyone should let that go. I think there's there's a lot more wasted talent in Dominion. In Pinocchio, it's kind of just like all a half-hearted effort yeah. across. The, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that to the technical crew and stuff, but like, you know, the the creatives behind it. Yeah, it, there's very little there. Yeah. Salvageable. Um, oh, uh, another piece of that trilogy, Pinocchio, A True Story. Um, oh, okay. The, so, you, uh, so you're putting whatever bad film you watched that year on the bottom of the year for you? Because I, I put all mine that came out in the year. Well, this one, I mean, at least as a nor- it was a North American release this year. Holy shit, you're right. I completely forgot. I, could, I guess I remember it was the... 2022's Pinocchio See, trilogy. That really just shows how little I remember about that film, <laughs> yeah. other than the cat that shot Pinocchio. It's yeah, fleeting. Yeah. I get. I guess. I, I guess I have to push uh, the gray man out of there. Pinocchio: <laughs> A True Story is somewhere in the top five. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I hate Morbius more. Maybe it's number six. See, Morbius. Morbius is a bad movie without a doubt. Oh, it's awful. Um, it's a terrible movie. Um, but I, I that that was one of the few genuinely bad movies I watched this year that I also like genuine. I don't know about genuinely, but like also actually enjoyed the experience of watching it. Understood. Mostly because I, it's so bad. I will I will agree with that um, to, an, to an extent. I'd yeah. say the first forty five minutes that was where I was. Yeah, and then the last half hour is <laughs> where. Or, no, yeah. it's two hours I think. So it's like it's, the last hour is like. Yeah. Maybe just shy of two hours or something. Yeah. Well, I yeah. guess the question for me to you on that front is uh, Morbius or Black Adam? So, Black Adam is in my bottom five. Yes. Black Adam yes. is my, like, dog shit superhero movie of the year, more so we're, than Morbius. We're going to, we'll, we'll probably have to talk about it again because literally after we're done recording tonight, which even though we record live, 
uh, my roommate Adam wants to watch Black Adam tonight. Uh, tonight? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna be happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesus. Yeah. No. The it's it's features a stunningly absent performance from Pierce Brosnan. Um, Such a bummer. Dwayne Johnson attempts to leverage some some of his classic charisma on a character that makes use of none of it. Because you know Dwayne Johnson always like winking at the camera, raising his eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Black Adam is it, Black Adam is like a he's a statue, so Dwayne has nothing to do. He just kind of is a giant machine. Do, do you think he got self conscious? I mean, he's doing a third Jumanji film in that trilogy, yeah. which I guess we'll have to fucking cover at some point. But yeah. do you think he got self conscious about the fact that like they were making fun of his smolder per se in those films? Because Maybe like so. there's like a whole thing in those films about like just how everyone just swoons over him because of that yeah. smolder. And it's like, did he, is he a little too yeah, so he's self-aware? trying to push away from it or whatever? Maybe. I don't know. I yeah. hope not because it does seem like Black Adam just is the it worst thing work. to push away from. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think in and around and since Black mm-hmm. Adam, Dwayne has maybe kind of showed his ass on social media and in the press a lot more than oh. he was beforehand. Oh, yeah. With his whole pulling in Superman stunt and then that not yeah. working out and kind of feels like he just kind of tries to get leverage in whatever he involves himself in it's, and it's like this I'm, is weird. I don't know if I necessarily say it's desperate. Yeah, I don't it's know if kind I, of that. Vibe, it is though. almost there, <laughs> but I also understand to a degree where it's like that man has had this film in yeah. like quote yeah. unquote production for over a decade, right? And so when he finally gets it, he literally is posting almost every other week about, like, he literally broke his own gate during a pandemic just so he could go work on the set. Yeah. Well, it leads to lukewarm. Yeah. Well, and there's a a lukewarm feeling about the film. It's of course, it's an actor's or producer's or director's job to, like, you know, promote the movie and get people to go see it and that sort of thing but like some of his posts like since it came out and like clearly underperformed and he's like posting misleading numbers on his socials to show that hey guys it's not actually a, a, a flop um and it's when, like well warner brothers clearly thinks it's a flop when so. it was when it, didn't he at one point post the audience score from rotten tomatoes yeah and he like, just and, called it the rotten tomatoes score and it's like yeah. well Come on. <laughs> I mean, not saying you can't use Rotten Tomatoes as the aggregator that no. it is, but it's an aggregator. Yeah. And it's not the say-all, be-all of what a, a film is good or not. Yeah. The amount of good films that just take so long to get recognition. Yeah. It's, that, oh, God. Yeah. that That's... Um, the hierarchy certainly changed. There's no hierarchy anymore. It's fucking gone. <laughs> <laughs> Clean slate, baby. <laughs> We're going to um, see how that goes. The only other one probably worth commenting on toward my bottom is uh, Bardo, which is the only, like, yeah. I, what I would call art film of the bunch that's at my bottom. And that is just peak indulgence and narcissism and arrogance, and it's fucking boring. Which is which is a bummer to hear. Not that I, I want I like Inyaratu, his previous great. stuff, but... Um, and also, yeah. did Hoyt... Because he, he usually works with... No, who does he work with as a DP? Um, is it, is it uh, Liebet- Le- no, it's, well, Lubienski? is it, I don't know who he's worked with in the past on this one. It's Darius Kanji. I don't think, I don't know. I think the guy who did the Revenant, I think Lubienski, I think he also did Birdman. Cause I, I was just wondering if they were, oh, he might have, um, I was going to say Hoyt, but that was Hoyt Dahomo was not Revenant was Lubeski. Yeah. Emmanuel Lubeski. 
Mm. Um, okay. And I think that was also Birdman too. Okay, he just didn't do Bardo, which I guess. Yeah. It's. I mean, Bardo it it doesn't slouch in the visual department. It's still a really pretty movie, but yeah. it just kind of feels like Inyar to sniff his own sniffing his own farts. I I actually saw the other day a positive review of the film, and I was always I was curious. Just like I will watch it sometime in the future, but I wouldn't be surprised if just like in the future it'll be seen as almost like a almost like an existential crisis for a creator during a pandemic yeah. type film. Cause it right. has that vibe where it's like, right. how do you make something like in this pandemic? And you're also <laughs> maybe a little bit stunted. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, you, I mean, you've been talking about that for the last, cause you saw like a month or two ago. You saw it in October yeah. during Heartland, right? Uh, not Bardo. Bardo not Bardo. Didn't okay. show at Heartland, but I did that see it in wild. like November. I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's those are all the bad movies I'll talk about. But hey, even though it's bad, I'm glad Netflix tried to take a swing of you yeah, know, yeah. Netflix has a wild docket. They this, are this, it, uh, they're a weird bunch. They are weird because they they you you gotta admire them in some ways for picking up you know movies by auteur filmmakers and yeah. supporting things that might not other guys get made. But then they go and pull the glass onion stunt and play it in theaters for only a week. And hoard it for a month yeah. to put on their service, which they did with Pinocchio too, because they oh, yeah. they played it in theaters. I think Thanksgiving weekend or like a little yeah. bit before that, yeah. and then they put it in Netflix on the ninth this month. Right? But yeah. No. Uh, I think I'd rather watch Bardo than Pinocchio, but that's also someone who hasn't seen either. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm glad we could start it off the episode like that. So hey everyone, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies, of course, we cover Odd Trilogies. But not today. If you've seen the title of this episode and you've been a fan for a while, which if you have, thank you so much. Because today, it's the last episode of 2022. And you know what that means? We're talking about our top ten of the year. We are talking about uh, pretty much every film we've seen come culminating into the best of the best in our minds and mm-hmm. just talking about which ones are on our list, which ones aren't, how high are some ones. Wow, Andy put his a little bit lower than Logan's. We're probably <laughs> going to get used to that a little bit <laughs> because that's just how it happens. Nothing wrong with that, Andy. Don't. Mm. Don't, I'm, that is not any shade. It's just <laughs> literally it seems like every time we do this, it happens. And you know what? Yeah. Trust me, there are a few films on my list I think you do not have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I think is the same for you, vice versa. But, you know, going into our list, I'm going to start. Because okay. I want to know, I want to see, I want to gauge where this film is on your list. Because I know it is. Because we've talked about it several times on the podcast, just in passing. Oh, okay. But this is a film that when I initially saw it, It was, I think, in my top five. Now it's been pushed down to my top ten for a specific reason, but my number ten is Top Gun Maverick. Okay. Where is it on your list? Um, Way higher. I know it is. (laughs) Where, where, though? Tell me now. I'm spoiling that? Uh, If you want to. No. Okay, fine. We'll get there when we get there. (laughs) Then I'll let you do it. I'll let you talk about it later. But I will say the reason why I put it so low on my list is the reason why I think personally – it deserves to be on the list because, Jesus Christ, I don't think I've seen that many people in a theater for something that is a non-superhero franchise. Yeah. or Even for an Avatar film, and someone who didn't go to Avatar 2, seeing the numbers, it's clear that like 
there was a good amount of people that went to Avatar in its opening weekend, but it's just right. crazy to see something like Top Gun Maverick, a sequel that has been development hell yeah. for decades. To a movie from the 80s that's kind of like a, yeah. we love it, but we also make fun of it this, type of movie. I just can't, I put Top Gun Maverick as my number 10 because while I was just loving it after getting right out of the theater, it has, I have softened on it a little bit, but... I can't not give it credit for the experience itself because yeah. that was a film seen in theaters that like genuinely like my, my family watched it a little while ago and they were just like, I cannot fucking believe you gave it such a high score. And I was like, <laughs> I get it. If you see it at home, it's so much different than seeing it in the theater. It's yeah. genuinely one of those films where yeah. it's like, I don't know if it's going to hold up on like a regular TV, but sure. In a, in a crowded IMAX where the person to my left was like, oh, yeah, we rarely go to the movies, but, hey, it's Top Gun. And the person on my right is like, I've never seen Top Gun. <laughs> like, that was just an experience where it's like, well, shit. The fact that it's, you know, put all these people in the same room together and it's good. Yeah. Like, it's got to give the credit where credit's due. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Do you want to go? You wanna uh, sure. 10? Yeah. My my number 10 is uh, The Banshees of Inna Sharon. Oh, which I assume oh, is on your list. It is. Okay. It is. Um, but yeah, the the Martin McDonough movie starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Um, Just watched that today. <laughs> I'm so glad I did. Fresh too. in the mind. Um, yeah, it takes place like right at the end of the Irish Civil War in the 1920s. Which you didn't know that going in, did you? I didn't know that that was a part of it. No. I didn't know yeah. either. Yeah. So when I saw the calendar in that film... And I went, holy shit! This is a period piece. <laughs> I I knew it I was didn't know that at some personally. point in the past, but I didn't think it was that long ago. No, um, did not at all. A hundred years. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. But um, yeah, th- I mean, this is a great movie. It, I was cooler on it than I wanted to be when I mm-hmm. first saw it, just because I I love Three Billboards. I love In Bruges. Yeah. And so, you know, I was just very hyped on those movies. Went to go see this. I was like, yeah, I like that a lot. That was really good. Uh, I think I would have liked it more if I was Irish. Um, <laughs> but the more I've thought about it, the more I've appreciated it. And yeah. there's just, there's a great little kind of dynamic going on uh, where McDonough is like paralleling the sort of the concept of civil war and inner turmoil with these two friends who mm-hmm. are battling it out having this weird psychological uh, emotional battle which um the two best friends being colin farrell and brendan gleason uh, alone yeah. i think is worth putting on a top 10 list because <laughs> their relationship and their performances are just fucking phenomenal yeah Isn't and it? it's gorgeous too yeah it's a gorgeous film it is i will agree with you that it's not mcdonough's best in my opinion yeah but i will say as someone who you know is I think slowly has gone chronologically through McDonough's, you know, career with the fact that like, you know, in Bruges and then seven psychopaths and Uh then three billboards at a certain point when seven psychopaths came out, I remember being like, you know, the in Bruges guy is phenomenal, but like, is this gonna, is he going to keep doing more American films? And is that, (laughs) so is there going to be a little bit of translation kind of like, is he going to hit as hard as he does with in Bruges? And then he did three billboards, which, he hit hard in an incredible way yeah. and won awards for it. And then he's gone back to his roots with a very mm-hmm. Irish film yet has not lost. There's nothing lost in those years of just translating from a more American audience to back to an Irish audience. Yeah. Cause Holy shit. It's such a good film. It's also sad. It is very sad, <laughs> it's but it's dark, also very funny. It's a dark comedy. Bleak. It's, 
It's um, very clearly in the same vein as Three Billboards and In Bruges, and just yeah. like the comedy just makes you go, "What the fuck?" It also feels very like. In a in a very cozy way, it feels like a stage play, which is fun yes. because McDonough is His a, stage, a, yeah, background. a playwright. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool too. It feels like a kind yeah. of a series of scenes that could play out on a stage someday. Other other notable things are Jeremy Carey Condon as Shaban mm-hmm. as uh, Colin Farrell's sister, which most people would actually know from the Marvel universe because she's Friday. Oh, she's Tony's yeah. AI. Yeah. But uh, she's phenomenal in this film. And also uh, everyone's favorite Irish, Irish bad boy, Barry Keoghan, Barry Keoghan, who has, I think, has the performance that is, I think, the most worthwhile to give the film a second viewing because, like, his approach to that character is so, you think is so kind of, like, straightforward and simple mm-hmm. at the very beginning, but it's when you get towards that end of the film where it's like, yeah. holy shit, those seeds were being planted <laughs> forever ago. I'm, it's such a good film. It's yeah. phenomenal, well-made. It's also my number nine, so we don't even really have to go anywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, my number nine is Banshees. And, okay, cool. And, it, yeah, it is, it's a beautiful film. It's also very poignant at times, has a killer score. Has Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the year for Colin Farrell, if anything. Oh, yeah. He had yeah. four films this year. Four films this year. That I'm aware of. There could be more. There could be yeah, so much had, more Farrell. Uh, Banshees, After Yang, The Batman, and... 13 Lives. 13 Lives. I didn't see that. Neither no, one of us saw that, it, but apparently yeah. he's really good in that. I forgot he was in called, it. <laughs> I forgot it came out, but apparently he's really he's good so in that. so good in at least the other three. That, yeah. Um, and uh, actually, yeah. in fact, um, worth noting, uh, he was also nominated three times by the IFJA this year. Yes, he was. Um, I saw those today. Two oh. for lead for Banshees and After Yang, and one for supporting in the Batman. Which, oh my gosh. I mean, again, just to show that man's range and the fact that like his, right. the choices and the projects that he picks are just so fascinating and so varied. And the fact that like he doesn't seem like he, he he's very humble. Yeah. If, if no one has seen his, if you're listening to this and you don't know what Hot Ones is, you should definitely look up Colin Farrell Hot Ones and watch that man mm-hmm. eat hot wings and just be super honest about everything. He's just so fascinating to watch and it's so fun to watch him work as an actor. Yeah. Which is perfect to say because my number eight is After Yang. <laughs> after Yang? Yes. Oh, nice. Uh, well, wait. My number nine, though. Oh, what? We didn't do my number nine. Shit, you're right. <laughs> We're going off the rails today. Going, we'll come back. We're to out this. of control. It's fine. We're out of. Sorry, I was just so excited that Banshees was your number ten, and I was like, I can just slide right into here and not have to worry. Well, yeah. Well, I've spoiled my eight. Now you spoil okay. your nine. My nine is Barbarian. Oh, Zach Kreger's uh, the whitest okay. kids you know. Hi. Zach Kreger. Um, his stab is at a, at a horror movie. Mm, um, so good. So much fun. Just, just really, uh, toothy in the way, in the ideas that it goes after. Um, and I think it, it strikes a fun balance between like playfully satirical and like genuinely Mm -hmm. good suspense. Um, Justin Long being the shittiest person he's ever been, totally uh, outdoing himself. He is phenomenal. Showing up halfway through the movie, there, which would be a spoiler, except that like he's in all the you know yeah. press and cast lists and they've, stuff. So. They've literally posted, "Come see Justin Long's new film." They had a new ad like a month yeah. or so after it came out. I just love. I mean the the editing in that movie is great for a lot of reasons, but yeah. I also just love the the structure of it and how it's like very straightforward oh, yeah. house 
thriller for the first bit and mm-hmm. then blows up into something way more and then pulls back immediately and tells a different story and then it all ties yeah. together at the end. It's, it's, it's really creative. I, you might agree with movie. this to a degree. I mean, it's really hard to have, you know, a, a, a love of horror these last couple of years, but not have a horror film that is like, very intuitive or like very indie or very artsy to an extent where it's like mm-hmm. when you recommend it to somebody they're not expecting maybe it's slower maybe yeah. it's nastier something like where it's like you know i love hereditary midsommar the witch yeah. uh, men which came out this year but like they're all just those are great horror films but they're also very different a little more esoteric and yeah the average person might be like what the fuck was so when andy and i and a couple of our friends and our girlfriends went to fucking go see this film and it is (laughs) cut and dry great yeah it just it just cut and dry does everything it needs to in the time that it has and doesn't need to do anything else yeah and that's just very refreshing especially from a studio film Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah, I'm surprised it's that high for you. I'm glad it was because I love that film. Yeah, I mean, it's a blast. A, a, I will say a few of my, a few of my top ten are, uh, probably admittedly riding on a bit of like what was the viewing experience like. Yes. Um, yeah. But I also think that's totally okay because like what is what else is a movie besides the viewing experience? Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll get to a couple others later that were similarly, but like barbarians one of the most fun theatrical experiences I had this year. Oh yeah. It's up there for me as well. Well, to go back to what I spoiled for myself, <laughs> number eight is Koganata's after Yang. Now for all our Columbus, Indiana natives, you would know Koganata yes. as the director of 2017's Columbus, the film made after our hometown and is also a film that I think is quite divisive for people who saw it in our hometown because it truly is a very slow yeah. moving artsy film but it's not pretentious no. i would say Koganat is a very i think very human and moving in terms of the cinematography and right. his characters and so cut to his follow-up which is his only his second film which yeah. is phenomenal yeah which is a probably one of the most refreshing sci-fi films <laughs> and restrained sci-fi and restrained film. yeah the fact that it uses its budget so perfectly yeah where it's clear that it's like it's not going to do the minority report thing but it's not going to not do some kind of cool sci-fi stuff on top yeah. of that. And it's a really poignant film that's about connection, grief, family, great cast across the board. You've got Haley Richardson returning for a Koganata film. Mm-hmm. Colin Farrell, Once yet again, again, just fucking being there and killing every scene he's <laughs> giving in. Giving the best monologue about tea you will oh, ever see in a movie. It's so good. But, I mean, I would say the biggest star at least for me, is Yang himself, Justin mm, H. Min. Justin H. Min. Who is, um, his performance is very, is layered and also segmented because where he shows up timeline-wise, because this is a film about their robotic helper, Yang, a family has to try to figure out if they want to keep him, you know, salvage him. They're trying to figure out how to deal with having a defunct, like, deactivated robotic helper yeah. who is who is basically the brother to their human daughter. Right. And so, basically, Colin Farrell finds out more and more about their robot in a way that they didn't know about. And so, we're getting, basically, a lot of flashbacks, per se, of Yang. But the fact that he plays it so well that it doesn't even matter, mm-hmm. that, like, he's not in a lot of the, kind of, the present time stuff, is really, really good. And I think, also, after Yang deserves at least a nomination for one of the best opening credit scenes. 
the dance sequence. Oh, yeah. The dance sequence stuff is that was talk about a surprise for yeah. a film like that. But yeah, that I mean that movie. Uh, I'll plug the IFJA again. Do it again. Um, got nominated for for choreography for yeah. that sequence alone. I mean, there's oh not a God. lot of other like elaborate stuff, you know, choreography wise in the movie, but that that one sequence it'll, is it'll great. be it'll be my wholesome pairing to the i'm going to tear my, the fucking dance floor up scene from ex machina with oscar <laughs> isaac as like a colorful the other side of the yeah, coin a colorful dance sequence in a sci-fi film right right but yeah after yang is great Can uh we... yeah uh it is great um it's also my number six hell so. yeah so we can talk about it more when we get to that point but now andy get to your number eight my number eight also on your list i just know it uh, decision to leave wow. from Park Chan Wook. Wow. That really is lower than I anticipated. It's <laughs> very much, much lower than me. Well, I should, but I'm uh, glad it's on the list regardless. I should. Uh, I have an important note on that. Um, mm-hmm. I have not, unfortunately, had the chance to rewatch this movie since I first saw it. I would have liked to see it again before. That's fair. Uh, doing this, um, but it's a statement about the. You know, it's a it's a feat upon the movie's credit that. Um, it's still in my top 10, even though I feel like I wasn't super in the right headspace to like watch a movie this dense and you, layered. You had such a big weekend. The, the weekend I, you saw the, that. Yeah. It was the weekend I got engaged. Yeah. Um, and it was the kind of the, the morning after basically. And I was in that sort of haze and I just yeah. been at a big party oh, and yeah. was probably like slightly hung over still. Yep. Um, yeah, you basically had a great party proposed kept going with the great party we got brunch and then you went to go see a fucking yeah. dense erotic thriller right and then about i went relationships. and, and it, i mean it is i will say even though i feel like i wasn't able to absorb all of it and everything it was going for the kind of visual language that park chan wook is using with both his cinematography and his editing is so like transportive that it feels otherworldly even though it's a very grounded premise there's not like fantasy shit going on here um it's a it's like you said an erotic thriller a crime kind of mystery um but the way that park chanwick captures it it still feels very park chanwick like you know him from his other movies oh yeah but so much more kind of obviously less violent um yes and less kind of bleak um but it still just feels like his stamp and Mm -hmm. it's just it's one of the most unique experiences i had in a movie this year oh yeah i which i understand why it's so low in your list probably compared to other films that basically a movie that i love that i could see myself loving even more if i watch it again i I will talk about the film more when we get to when it gets in my placement but before we move on one of the best knife fights I've ever seen is in this film. Oh. All right. We're going to go to the next one with number seven. And number seven is a film that I, I think I know for a fact. Actually, I'm, I'm going to bet 100% is not on Andy's list because I know okay. that I enjoyed it more than you. Uh. I will say it is not my favorite of this director because so far this director is still pretty up and coming. And we both agree on I the. Know what it is. Yes, yes. Uh, we both agree on what our favorite of this director is. But my number seven. Surprised me until I made my list today is Jordan Peele's Nope. Yeah. Jordan Peele's Nope is fascinating because after he did Us, there was an a, there was a choice that he could have made where people were so kind of put off initially by us not being get out to to an extent. Yeah. That he could have been afraid and been like, well, shit, maybe I should do something that's still just in the same vein as get out. Or 
go weird like us, but make it maybe more approachable, or even just go full all out gonzo again. Right. And he found a way to still go weird, but I think in a much more approachable sense than us, and also make a fucking film that is his version of Jaws, <laughs> but also it's an alien film. Yeah, yeah. It is out of like just thinking about like blockbusters in general in terms of like now blockbusters are like pushing 150 200 million dollar films and they're marvel fox right you know morbius 2 we're all excited about if that ever happens hopefully (laughs) fucking doesn't but the fact that nope is like 60 million dollars and pulls off this beautiful film does insane things like day to night that look fucking awesome yeah it's like the only good looking day for night movie ever and the fact that like jordan peele is not afraid to get weird and horrific even when the film is not supposed to be weird and horrific (laughs) really makes me appreciate him as a writer and a director and i'm super excited now that he's done his third film what he'll do because universal's definitely going to pick him up again i'm sure at this point with more stuff but yeah daniel kaluuya is great kiki palmer always a joy to see in things i mean you have a killer cast that just has great comedic moments, great dramatic moments. Stephen Yen has a monologue in the early part of this film <laughs> that is supposed to be that is traumatic, but also is hilarious right. because of the way that he is telling retelling the story. He's so like desensitized or yeah. in denial. There's so much here that I think is like again, it's not my favorite of Peel's films. I still prefer Us, which might. Might be a hot take, but uh, is, regardless. So us is both of our favorite yes. Peel film. Okay, Again, yeah. That I, is a very hot take because yeah. a lot of people will like smash you into the ground for choosing that yeah. over Get Out. I but. still think all three of his films are great. I just think for me, nope. When we saw, Did we see it together? No. No. When I saw it in theaters, I just, especially that finale, I had a stupid grin on my face. <laughs> it was one of my favorite experiences in theaters this year, and... I cannot wait to watch it again. And I honestly, I'm kind of bummed I didn't get to see it in IMAX before oh, yeah. I left in theaters. Yeah. But hey, it's on Peacock now if you're one of five people that have Peacock. So if you want to give that a watch or just, it's yeah. def- I would definitely recommend it. It yeah. was a surprise to have this on the list, but I don't regret it. Yeah, and uh, Peel finally got his Akira shot. Oh, oh, <laughs> that Akira shot. What a nerd. I love yeah. him. All right, All right Andy. Number seven. You're number seven. Number seven. I don't know if you have seen um, is The Whale. Rude. Of course I haven't seen The Whale. Okay. What are you talking about? I didn't think you had, but I, I won- wanted to. I wondered if you had your ways. Yeah. Um, I wish I could have, but again. This I'm... might be the only movie on my top ten that you haven't seen. Maybe. Maybe. Out of all the films that I couldn't see Actually, before. Actually, it definitely is. Before we did this episode, this is one of the only films that I wish I could have seen, but of course, due to scheduling... Yeah. And the fact that this film is not technically out yet. Yeah, I don't know when it's supposed to. I think this week. This week, I think okay. it's like a limited release that okay. will probably get bigger in January. But yeah, it uh, yeah. it screened at Heartland back in October, and I was mm-hmm. that screening sold out like immediately. But I was lucky enough to get a a seat. Um, Darren Aronofsky directing uh, Brendan Fraser and Sadie Sink and Hong Chow. God. Um, in what is certainly obviously Brendan Fraser is getting a lot of press for his performance and he is phenomenal in it. Um, the other side of the press this movie is getting, or maybe not press, but discourse online is the, you know, kind of 
whole uh, discourse around how how we talk about uh, obesity and and uh, overweight people and that sort of thing. Because um, if you don't know, it's called the whale because Brendan Fraser plays a, a six hundred pound, pound man person. Yeah, and so obviously Brendan Fraser is not six hundred pounds, so he wears a large prosthetic uh, or apparatus um, combined with CGI to um, appear as a morbidly obese person. Um, and yeah, I, I was cautious going into this movie. I was thrilled for Brendan that he was getting such a major kind of uh, role. Um, but I was still kind of like, it's Aronofsky. I don't love a lot of his work. Yeah, you hated his last I film. I hate Mother. You hated um, his last film before this. And yeah, and Aronofsky is like, good or bad, he's anything but restraint or yes. subtle. Um, he's certainly interesting in yeah. both camps. Yeah. And so I was very much like, oh, God, we're doing a movie about a very depressed, fat person directed by the guy with, like, no sense of subtlety at all. Well, the man Um, that did Ass to Ass, that (laughs) scene from Requiem for a Dream, that's the man. Um, So I was cautious. I understand anybody else who is cautious about this movie or doesn't want to watch it. Totally get it. But I will say I was so impressed by how how seriously Aronofsky takes the material, how honestly he looks at all of the characters, not just Brendan Fraser's character, Charlie, um, and just how, how human it is and how like not about his weight it is. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about mental health. It's about feeling like you're contributing something to life. It's about Mm -hmm. what you leave behind on the world and what you, you know, how you imprint generationally on your kids. Sadie Sink plays um, Brendan Fraser's daughter. Um, And yeah, Brendan Fraser is very well could win the Oscar for actor and it would be well-deserved. He's genuinely phenomenal in this movie. Um, And yeah, I mean, you could go all day about the, yeah, should they have maybe casted somebody who was more in the shape of the character? Um, Sure. But but that's more of an industry issue and Hollywood's unwillingness to recognize people of certain body types than it is a Brendan Fraser issue or a Darren Aronofsky issue um, or a this movie issue. Um, yeah, I loved it. It's it's there's a couple scenes where I was like, okay, the people who are not thrilled about this movie are gonna hate these scenes. Yes. Um, but for the most part, I found it like super tasteful, super empathetic, um, and super like. It, it transcends that sort of, oh, fat people are sad stereotype. Um, yeah. Or like being fat is depressing because that's not what it's about at all. Which, and his his weight has nothing to do with who he is as a person. Um, and, and I love that about the movie. Good. And it's, it's again, and it's also understandable to have those reservations because like Andy said, it's Aronofsky. Yeah. The quality of his filmography is... Certainly not any less interesting when you go from film to film, but in terms of quality, all and, over the place. Yeah, yeah, just it's it's all over the place in terms of what you'd like. And so, honestly, you seeing it before me was like, okay, I'm curious if he if he doesn't like it, maybe I'll still like it. But if he <laughs> likes it, I think it'll be on the same boat. So the fact that you liked it that much to put it in your top ten, I am yeah. very excited to watch it. Oh, oh, sometime in January. I can't go without saying Hong Chow is phenomenal in this oh. movie she's not getting enough praise for it it's all kind of obviously going to brendan to sadie too she's great but hong chow is so good she plays charlie's nurse and just 
the just such a raw performance. It's she's, awesome. She's great. We're yeah. we're Hong Chow stands on this podcast, <laughs> and she also was in the menu, which I have not seen, right. but I know she's in there. Yeah, she's, she's good, good in, in that, that too. So it's good to see her in that, and not something like downsizing again. <laughs> yeah, because that was like one of my first intros to her, and oh, I was yeah. like, oh no, <laughs> this is not the best way to introduce it. But I'm glad that she's still killing it with roles in the future. Yeah. So yeah, sweet. So that's oh. number seven. So we're almost getting to the halfway point, and now for my number six could also, honestly, it, this, it'd be once it'd be shot in the dark. This could also be your number six. It mm. could be a little. I think uh, it's not because my number six is after Yang. Oh, nice, nice, <laughs> so nice, nice, can, nice. Mine, mine okay. we can blow right over. All right, then fine. Number six for me is Glass Onion, Woo! a Knives Out mystery. Holy shit! Talk about a film that I think Knives Out one was my number six of the year. It came oh, out. Oh yeah. It is. It is hard to do a sequel. I mean, just ask Ryan Johnson. He's got two examples of that. But um, it is hard to do a sequel, especially for a film that has basically brought back people's interest in the whodunit yeah. subgenre, let alone do it during a pandemic. Right. So to have a film which actually... And make it a pandemic film. And make it a pandemic film, which actually two of the films on my list are, I guess, technically pandemic films to an extent... And it's just interesting to see two different approaches to it and to see how Ryan approaches how do you do a whodunit in a pandemic sense. And it's like, yeah. oh, let's do it about Mark Zuckerberg types <laughs> and rich people and kooky games and a giant glass onion on a private island. Right. Of course, a tech mogul would have that. Yeah. It is a phenomenal film that honestly keeps pretty much most of the same beats from Knives Out, but... <clears throat> does enough of a different twist and turn on them that you might not see it coming until you think about just like, wait, I remember the plot structure from this and that. Yeah. And like, oh, this is interesting. I like this. I like that. Cast is great. The whodunit itself is hilarious and not ex all the same as the first film, which... Right, yeah. I mean, I wasn't expecting that, but it was nice just to see how varied the whodunit was compared to the last film. Yeah, I mean, it. it's... It's kind of amazing how much Ryan Johnson is able to kind of thread that needle of making, with both of these movies, making mm -hmm. straightforward whodunits that don't shy away from the whodunit trappings oh, no. and don't doesn't smirk at them um, and, and is a full-bodied whodunit in the spirit of Agatha Christie just as, you know, they always have been and yet also managed to kind of bend the form and... Uh, do something different with it and they do so in different ways i feel it, like like it, glass onion plays with it in a different way than knives out did there's more to knives out than explaining it as like a modern perot type story right but it it's hard not to see that that was kind of the foundation for a lot of the choices made especially with just yeah i mean let's talk about i mean daniel craig as probably one of the best roles he's ever had one of the best <laughs> Like best times, he looks like he has the most fun playing this in both yeah. films. But uh, as our very own Kentucky Fried Detective, Benoit Blanc, right. he's delightful in this. The whole cast is great in this film. Mm -hmm. The story itself is so unique and fun and just shows yet again that even though this man, quote-unquote, ruins Star Wars, <laughs> he is certainly not an awful director. This man right. kills it as a filmmaker. And it's great to see not only him hit again with the knives out but it's also great to see netflix even though the way they've handled it has been weird it's cool that they actually are going to you know put all the money and effort into like pushing this film and trying to get people to see it because right. 
this is this needs to be seen. This is a blast of a film. It is. Yeah. Well, and uh, Ryan Johnson must have had like or must have like a time machine or something because I don't know how else you could create a movie that just winds up so perfectly timely with it when it releases. Oh yeah. Um. Because the uh, the the current events uh, parallels that came out um, alongside when this movie oh, came yeah. out in oh, yeah. theaters uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was just absurd. Um, and, and you couldn't have planned it unless you had a time machine, but Ryan Johnson somehow pulled it off. Are you, um, are you talking about the, the film basically made Among Us before Among Us came out? Is that what you're talking about? No. I'm, I know. I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> kidding. I'm joking. I'm uh, basically referring to the, the Elon Musk of it all. Yeah. Oh um, yeah! Oh yeah! And the shit show that that man has paraded all over the internet. Um, yeah, and yeah, I could just—I'm talking about this because this is actually my number five. Hell, so we're speed running I our six and five. Fucking knew it had to be somewhere in the middle. I knew yeah. it wasn't probably in. You know, like, no, you actually, know. Knives Out was my number six of 2019 as oh, well. I, hell I, uh, yeah! It I was. Think, although this is my number five, but not because it's better than Knives Out. I think they're about the same. I would say they're about the same for me too, for um, very different reasons. Like we have a friend that uh, was a bit disappointed by Glass Onion, and I, I I can understand that because this is a different whodunit. Yeah, it's a different approach. But at the same time, I feel like if you go in just being like, "I'm ready for anything," yeah, I feel like that won't be the issue for many. Well, and I I think if this one has, if Glass Onion has a flaw, I think it's that it it really pushes that envelope of like so most mystery movies or whodunit movies will like have a point where they reveal oh everything you've been watching so far is not as it seemed and then they kind of play back everything in a way that now Mm -hmm. you see what was really happening yeah a lot of movies that comes off as really cheap and really false because it's like there's no way we could have possibly pieced any of that together Mm -hmm. and you just pulled that out of your ass it's almost like deus ex machina-esque um yeah this movie kind of pushes that envelope a little bit, not so much in like the believability of it. Cause Ryan Johnson does a great job making it all convincing and making it all add up. And it's wonderful. But there is a point where you spend like, I think it's like maybe more than 30 minutes in a flashback. No, it's, it's, it's at, at, least. at, at yeah, it's at a certain point in the film. It's, it's just when you, when you finally get back to where the current events of the plot were before mm-hmm. you went there, you're like, Wow. That was all just rehashing what we just saw. Yeah. Um, but it is really well done, and I yeah. I don't mind. I don't consider it a big issue, but I can see – I know some people who were a little more bothered by that, and so I can, I can see that. Yeah. Again, I can understand that, but at the same time, I just like the fact that this isn't really – this isn't Knives Out 2. This no, is a yeah. Knives Out mystery. This is, again, why people love the Perot stories is just the fact that, like, yeah, it's Hercule. He's back. There's these kooky cast of characters. They're on a boat now. Oh, I wonder if it's, you know, Murder on the Ore Express, but on a boat. And it's yeah. like, no, in reality, it's much, there's more nuances and it's different enough that it's not going to be the same. Yeah. It's not going to be the train story, but on a boat, the train on a plane. This is not going to be Knives Out, but on a private island. This yeah. is more of just like in the same vein, but unique enough mm-hmm. that it stands out on its own. Where, in all honesty, you don't have to see the first one to enjoy this. But, no, they're pretty separate. But you um, should. You should. And they're both great. I mean, I would love, you know, in 50 years when I'm an elderly man to like look back and see, you know, like 30 Benoit Blanc movies. I don't care if uh, they're all the same actor and director. Yeah. I'd love Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson to do this as long as I want to, but like, I would love for this to be like a legacy 
series. Oh yeah, um, just because they're so great and they're so you you're like. A- you read about Batista talking about like night and day working with him on Spectre via this. Yeah. And it's like, it's so clear that like Craig, there's that energy that I think Johnson also has. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm with you. I could just watch endless Benoit Blanc movies. I would, um, I would love to be an 80 year old man and tell my grandkids, let's watch a Knives Out movie. And they go, what? There's 50 of them. Yeah. And I just cry. How will we ever choose? Joy. Yeah. <laughs> there's um, Glass Onion, Glass Onion two and a half, Glass yeah. Onion three, like all. Oh. I am interested to see how, I mean, I'm sure Ryan Johnson is like racking his brain trying to figure out what's the you know third movie going to be. It, um, it wouldn't even surprise me if the, he had a second film pretty much in his mind script-wise and had to cut it down because of pandemic, and yeah. then we got a completely different two, yeah. which is um, great. But I am, I'm really interested to see what three is and how he continues to kind of diversify on that template. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wonder if like... Because, like, these first two, it's hard to call patterns from just two points, right? But um, both of these movies have been Benoit Blanc trying to solve a mystery, Mm -hmm. finds a kind of uh, downtrodden woman uh, in the middle of all of it, and she ends up kind of figuring it out with his help. Yeah. Is kind of the the general gist of it. There's a lot more twists and turns in there, but... um, I'm interested to see if, like, that's the constant. Like, in the third one, will there be another woman that pairs up with Benoit Blanc? Or, like, mm-hmm. will we ever get one where Benoit Blanc is on his own, back against the wall, you know, everybody's against him type thing? Yeah, and it's one of those things where it could. I mean, again, we saw there was, I mean, Death on the Nile that came out this year. It's not in my top ten. But, like, <laughs> seeing that film, it was wild to see Brana be like, we're going to make Perot more of a character. Yeah. Then he was in murder, and then you watch him go. This is weird. <laughs> I'm just used to him being there, being like, just Aha, being a machine. I know what this is. Yeah. But I will say, in Knives Out too, you get a little bit more of Benoit home life. Yeah. I want more of that. I want more. Yeah. I, I want more Benoit home I don't life. Know, I don't know that I necessarily want a movie that goes like full blown. Oh, his personal vo- life is wrapped up in all of yes, it. Yes. No. But I do love the continual kind of drippings of world building mm-hmm. about his personal life there's the... even i think in this film they they say one of the cases he solved and it was so cheesy <laughs> it was like a diamond ring yeah it's like a very classic mystery yeah which is great yeah knives uh, glass onion and knives on mystery is my number six andy's already said that his is after yang and glass onion was my number five yes so, so we're we're speeding yeah we're speeding through this would you have anything you want to say about yang uh no i mean it's it's i think the closest thing i mean it's a movie that i think of when i think of the phrase poetic cinema and i think that's just koganata in a nutshell he's very much like i kind of i don't know it's very contemplative and quiet and and peaceful and it makes you feel warm and good even when what's happening is like sad or melancholy or whatever and it's just he's Coconut is great at exploring ideas that are too big for words through very small mm-hmm. amounts of dialogue. And I mean this film also shows that he's a really he's really good at showing ideas that other sci fi films would consider horrific and dangerous. Sure. Yeah. Because what you basically a lot of what the is unfolded and talked about in After Yang in another sci fi film could be considered like scary. Yeah. But the way that his approach comes to it in such a human and, like you said, poetic way, it comes off at it as a very optimistic yeah. 
viewpoint. Right. And yeah, I I cannot think of like when I saw Columbus with my entire family and <laughs> most of them really like we all really enjoyed it and I just remember my grandfather falling asleep <laughs> during it because again, it that Koganata is a very slow, methodical director. Yeah. I mean, he was and, a Criterion video essayist before he was a feature filmmaker. Yes, and so. I fucking love that. <laughs> it makes so much sense. I mean, it, it makes sense why his editing is impeccable. Apparently, cause... he also directed, I think, f- half of the episodes for Apple TV Plus's Pachinko, oh, which is apparently yeah. a good show, which yeah. I should probably give a watch some point in the future, right. as if there isn't enough TV yeah, right. to fucking watch. But... Yeah, after Yang, Colin, Year of Feral. I want every year, year to be feral. Year of Feral. <laughs> We're going to fucking Penguin show in like a year or two. Yeah, we That's going to be are wild. Are still getting the Gotham PD show? No, that... they've they've melded together. Oh, okay. I think they've melded it's together. It's like a dual channel. I think thing. so. Okay. But yeah, so year number five was uh, Glass, Glass Onion. Onion. My number five, speaking of films that are take place in a pandemic... <laughs> my number five or was like a pandemic film my number five is tar there you go as i assume yours it's in it's, it's in, up there yes yep. it is uh tar the return of director todd fields field fields who has done i think at the point the tar has come out three four films total yeah he's not made a lot of appearances his last film was little children in 2006 yeah which is also i think pretty critically acclaimed at the time mm-hmm. and tar is just Tar's an interesting one. I mean, I think all, I mean, both of us would agree that all the, our choices are interesting, but what's so interesting about Tar to me is like, this is a film that on a macro level, story wise, not a lot happens. It, it uh, is very, yeah, it's not necessarily it's, an eventful movie. Yeah. It's the film is basically about a critically acclaimed female composer who is daring to do the impossible. The one thing she hasn't done in her career. Yeah. And then, all these different twists and turns happen to her. And it's pretty straightforward, pretty normal in terms of just like how this series of events come out. Yeah. It's just, it is the subtext. This is a film that if you love just hearing the subtext and performances and the way the words are said and just watching, just watching facial, just like expressions change in a way where it's like, that speaks a whole fucking paragraph. (laughs) This is a film where every actor that is on screen does so much work with so little. Yeah. Especially Kate Blanchett, who is Tar. She was yeah, the titular. Lydia Tar. And she is, again, it's Kate Blanchett saying that uh, she's phenomenal is like saying falling on your ass hurts. Like yeah. it's pretty but clear. In a that, very like, s- deep filmography. This is oh, one of her best performances, if uh, not her great. best. I mean, we, we would both agree, though, she's better in Gil- Del Toro's Pinocchio, right? The Spazzatura, <laughs> right. everyone's true. favorite monkey. That's true. But yeah, Lydia Tar, it. Tar is just from top to bottom a phenomenal film that like I will admit it is a long film. It does seem like where it could end, it doesn't. It it really mm. does take its time to get to the ending, but when it gets to the ending, it's <laughs> wild. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's just, like holy shit, this is where we're going to end it on. Nice. All I will say about nice. the ending is just like complete fucking erasure. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> it's great. And I also love the fact that like the film itself feels very topical, especially when it comes to yeah, it does. You know, yeah. the entertainment industry. And also, again, with the pandemic, because at a certain point, the pandemic in-universe has delayed all this that has happened yeah. in, in the film. And so it kind of adds more tension and more anticipation for right. what she's supposed to do. And ultimately, what Tar ends up being is just 
a phenomenal film that just has so much more going on than like on the surface level. And I, and I'm not saying that as if like there isn't enough to enjoy cinematography wise, score wise, or just the performances in general, but it's a film that if you want to dig deep, the film will let you dig fucking deep. It is so, so well done. And I was caught off guard. It was either this, when I saw this initially, I was like, I was going to watch this or something else. When I saw this, I went, fuck i <laughs> i'm glad this is my first film to watch right out of the gate after like being busy for so long because it yeah. just it's such a good fucking film all righty that is your number five yes is okay. your is this number four for you so am i going up to number four? Oh, was tar number four yeah for you no oh uh, was it it's higher okay sweet hell i yeah. have a little bit more to say about tar but we'll get there when we get no there. for sure well i did my number five and we've already talked about your number five that's right so, since we're just speeding through this shit, yeah. you go for your number four. Tell me what you have Okay, in the um, fourth slot. My number four is the much-talked-about, much-loved, everything-everywhere-all-at-once. Wow. Yeah. That's number four. Yeah. All I'm right. assuming it's, all uh, right. it's Dun- a little it's, ways up there It's for a you. bit higher for me, too. Okay. Yeah. I'm, um, now I'm curious. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what is what more is there to say about everything, everywhere, all at once? Everybody has seen this movie now, and if they haven't, they know they should. Um, it's wonderful. It's sweet. It's one of the most like hard on its sleeve movies of yes, the year. Absolutely, um, absolutely bears it all. Michelle Yeoh I gets her due after so long. Kehoi Kwan the, steals the show. Listen, hashtag Kwanessance. Give me um, <laughs> this man more. Yeah. He wants to come back. Thank put, you. Put Brendan Fraser and Kehoi Kwan in a movie together. The Brennaissance meets the Kwanessance. If there's any other reason have. for me to appreciate Crazy Rich Asians, it's the fact that that brought that man out of retirement. Yeah. Because that man was like, I could come back and do films again. <laughs> He's, and now we have him in a Disney Plus show next year. Oh, Fuck yeah. 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 With Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep oh, them together. Oh, okay. please do. I would watch that. Um, but yeah, what a what a wonderfully yeah. adorable, oh. action-packed... I mean, this movie kind of has it all, right? It's got the action spectacle. It's got weird sci-fi multiverse oh, stuff. It's such a weird, um, goofy fucking film. It's got generational trauma which everything has now and we love it um this whole year was just filled with <laughs> generational trauma Last couple years honestly i mean yeah um <laughs> it felt more obvious this year because i think disney had a lot of films about generational <laughs> trauma this year um it uh yeah g- wonderful ensemble like everybody gives a fucking awesome performance you get jamie lee curtis in like very much a supporting role but oh. a phenomenal supporting role the fact that she has been praising this film top to bottom yeah i love it so much that she has so much love for this film like everybody else that's a part yeah. of the film it's it's visually very much of its own ilk um while also paying homage to like a thousand different things at once it's yes. martial arts movies yes. it's sci-fi movies it's psychedelic movies the family film it's a uh, yeah it's the drama it still retains that kind of uh lovable absurd juvenile comedy from uh the daniels previous uh, stuff um which you've which is Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man. Yeah. And also, the turn down for think, what music video is like one of their first big things. They I think individually together. they've made other stuff too, right? But together, their only previous movie yeah, was I Swiss think, Army Man. Uh, Daniel Shire. Shinert. I thought I he did the death of Dick Long. Yeah, he did, and I did, did. see that, and that was okay. I but it's okay. also interesting. It's interesting looking at this movie in Swiss Army Man and how much like 
these movies are only possible with their combined powers yeah and and how you get a very different kind of movie when it's just one of them and it um, almost feels like they are both like that by themselves but they're only amplified and more other, yeah. confident with that weirdness yeah. when they're together there's which, like thank a kaleidoscope God. effect when you put yeah. them together well, i'll definitely talking about this later on the list yeah. so i'll leave you to it on that yeah um i think yeah that, that's all i'll say on everything everywhere okay. good oh i'm glad it's on the list regardless my number four though is not fun it's brutal it's bleak it is also i think one of the most powerful films i've seen this year and crazy enough it is also considered a netflix original film (laughs) and if you haven't seen it you definitely should especially if you're a big war fan because my number four is the latest adaptation of all quiet on the western oh really wow that fucking film shows world war one it is world war one on the german side yeah so Believe me, when I tell you that when I initially heard about this film happening, it was like, oh shit, this could be a big uh, film for Netflix during the you know the kind of the the awards run. And then I didn't see it initially because when it first came out, I was working pretty hardcore. But my brother saw it, and he said, "Dude, have you seen this shit?" And I was like, <laughs> "I have it." And he's like, "Okay, well, you need to, because it." is fucking rough but i think you'd love it yeah and then the last the next time my family and i got together we were like oh what film should we watch and my brother went there's no better time to watch all quiet on the western front (laughs) (laughs) and what i saw is honest to god you know we've been getting some phenomenal war films these last couple years especially with 1917 yeah a few years back Mm -hmm. from sam mendez this might be one of my favorite modern war films. Hmm. And not in the sense that it is a film in modern time. It is a World War One film that is right. incredibly well acted across the board with phenomenal actors. It's entirely in German. Do not watch this film with the English dub on Netflix. <laughs> uh, the only person I recognized was Daniel Bruhl, who yeah. I love Daniel Bruhl. And it's, he has a small part, but when he shows up, it's like phenomenal. The film starts with a, such a wide-eyed, juvenile, just, you know, naive but optimistic gaze at, like, you know, trying to be the best for Germany as you watch these friends go from yeah. school and they lie about their age to get into the war <laughs> to ending in truly, like, if this film ends this way, I don't know how I'm going to feel except despair. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes that route, and I went, holy shit props <laughs> i love the fact that they're going full hardcore because world war one is disgusting it yeah. is a, it was a horrendous it's it was the war to end all wars except it didn't and also right. it's the tr- worst part about it <laughs> yeah trench warfare the trench warfare shit in this film is incredible it's so well done it genuinely at times at least for me made me feel like 1917 was too clean oh, like yeah. it really has like that. the just how it goes into it. And also the score, there is some very modern kind of auto tune additions to a certain part of the score that like gives it this like drone. Mm-hmm. And it when it shows up in the film, it's clearly not diegetic music. But oh, when you yeah. hear it, your heart just like sinks and you're just like clenching every it's part dread. of your body. Yes, it is just so good. The lead is phenomenal. The cast is a great. The story itself is engaging it's hard not to be a war fan and not have good content. So to have something like this to be like, God damn, 
Oh. Yeah. yeah. No, no, like, I mean, like, oh, yeah. fan of war films. Yes, yeah. that's what I mean. And so it's like, yeah, <laughs> Logan not is war not pro war. I'm everybody. not. But at the same time, it's like, it's great to see a film that just humanizes the German side, but not the people that were propagating yeah. the German side. The people that were unfortunately thrown into the front lines as shields basically and convinced they would love it yes and convinced that and convinced that you'd be a great german if you did it yeah it's what they wanted yeah it's uh all quiet on the western front's phenomenal you know again while netflix is 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 very spotty every year because again netflix is for everybody and there's a blessing and a curse for that (laughs) in terms of their uh, content this is definitely one that needs to be watched because it is such a phenomenal powerful film so yeah, that's my number four. All righty. All right. Do you want me to do my number three, or do you want to do your number three? We're now we're getting close. My my number three uh, was your number five. So I'll just make a few more comments about Tar. Sure. Yeah. Um, Tar. Yeah. You you mentioned that it was it was very topical, um, and it is. Yeah. It definitely is. But the thing I think I love about this movie. Well, there's a lot to love about this movie. But one thing I love about this movie mm-hmm. is that. In spite of its kind of topicality, Todd Field clearly has no interest in like making the movie that's going to make your headline on your latest opinion piece. No, um, of course, yeah. It's a movie that feels like Todd Field is having a conversation with himself the entire time. It's it's a movie that's yes. like kind of about cancel culture and, you know, holding mm-hmm. powerful people accountable, but it's also not like, you know, uh all one way or all the other way or even really like a wishy-washy centrist thing it's it's more personal than that yeah Um, it's it's a film that is giving you a person and a scenario and making you go is this person a piece of shit or are they an unsung hero (laughs) right right. or maybe a little bit of both and you're like i don't know if i want to answer that one it it leaves you with depending on your read of the movie um it it leaves you with kind of some of the same ambiguities that I think we all experience with a lot of these very public, um, you know, uh, self-destructs that we see on social yeah. media and stuff um, of the, well, I guess we'll never know what actually happened. Um, yeah. And I think the ultimate thing here, at least in, in Todd Field's mind, is that it doesn't necessarily matter um, whether we actually know the concrete answers or not. But... Um, yeah, just such a richly detailed movie. I mean, mm-hmm. um, oh my god! I will say my my one and two are much more populist pieces of entertainment, um, and I'm not ashamed of that. Okay. Um, but this movie could just as easily be my number one. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's so detailed in the ways that it's uh, it. I mean, Todd Field. I don't know how what his background is with the international orchestral classical music scene or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, or how much research he had to do, but like the insight and level of knowledge that it takes to write characters who so convincingly come off as experts in their field, but also kind of reveal themselves to be Mm -hmm. frauds in their own way is like, to be able to write that type of character takes a serious mastery of, of a knowledge field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really admire that and, and his attention to detail there. It's, it's, so. it's also, I think one thing that we should bring up and I, I cannot remember her name entirely. Cause it's also, I don't want to butcher it, but the, the composer of tar, 
because oh, uh, uh Doctor or something wanted, like that. I yeah. said that because I wanted to see if you would try and butcher it for me. So yeah, I couldn't there do you that. Go. You're welcome. It, it's funny that's because like the score is not only incredible and tar because it's literally a film about making fucking music and about doing prepping a performance of classical music, but the fact that like she is the the composer of Tar is one of the very few very notable modern examples of female composers yeah and to have a film about female composers where they actually name drop her in the film itself (laughs) right yeah it's fun to hear her interpretation of how to do that score throughout the entire film and a lot of the times there isn't music in the film there's just a lot of silence to it and yeah, ah, it's such that, a good fucking film. <laughs> that movie, uh, name dropping Hildur, also it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It also reminded me of like Birdman name dropping Robert Downey Jr. in a movie about like a washed up superhero yes. actor. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, that that was just similar vibes. Um, uh, there was there was something else I wanted to say about this. I, I will I, I will might, say I that might just there is a funny story with Tar too and Andy can. Uh, back me up on this. I had to text Andy about the ending because I went, that just happened, right? Oh, yeah. That's what that like, was. Wait, yeah. it's like, wait, this is like, because I was so, I was genuinely confused because I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I will say it, it's not really a spoiler because if you no. don't know what the movie is going for toward the end, um, but I was just it was by chance i just happened to notice because this movie has credits up front like like yeah. full length credits there, up at the beginning of the movie yeah there was a licensing for a video game series <laughs> there was a licensing for monster hunter world and i was yeah. like that's funny that that's in this movie and then i thought oh it'll probably just be some casual scene where tar is like on an airplane and there's some kid playing monster hunter in the background on his switch or something yeah and then the movie kept going i was like there's there hasn't been a kid there hasn't been a switch kid yet where is it gonna drop and the fact that like i saw that too but also was like hmm wasn't expecting that yeah and then completely just went past my head when it does come into play (laughs) that like when i texted you and you went oh oh fuck that's why it was in the beginning i didn't even ah it was such a funny moment just to text you being like make i'm making sure this is right yeah (laughs) in my brain but Yeah. yeah now i know what your two and one are yeah, because I know either I think I know what your number one is, uh-huh. and I believe it's my number three. Okay, because I know for a fucking fact this is on your list because we both watched it together. <laughs> it's one of the best experiences of watching a film this year, not in the theater. Right. My number three is the soon-to-be you know Hollywood classic right. across the universe and across the earth. It's now probably for a lot of people done to death talking about this film, but we both implore you to go see this film. My number three is the epic RRR. Yeah, baby. The three hour Tollywood film <laughs> that is genuinely the fastest three hour film I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. It genuinely is a film that never stops going, it never stops being fun, engaging. It is also the first film on my list that I would give shit you not a five out of a five out of five. <laughs> the the next two films on my list are also my only other five out of fives. This is a just glorious film that even when I was waiting for a specific dance sequence that everyone at this point that knows about the film knows about, <laughs> even before then I was losing my goddamn mind. Got to that point, lost it even more, and then it never stopped being lost as we kept going through this film. <laughs> 
Uh, it's your number one, isn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, you've already kind of pushed what your two and one are. After you yeah. said it was populist. Mm-hmm. So that's so. Before we get into your two and one, tell me what your number three is. It was tar. Shit. <laughs> My brain is now that we've we've, we've swapped we've order. overlapped so much. Yeah, I thought swapped, I missed your three sides. No. All right. Um, but yeah, I I will say more on our yeah. in a little bit. Because here's what's funny though is while your top two I've already brought up. Mm-hmm. My top two, you've also already brought up. So do you okay. want me to do I, my top two first? I know of one yeah. of them. Yeah, go ahead. Well, give your. We'll each to give our two, and yeah. then we can do some maybe honorable. Yes. Didn't quite make yes. the list movies. Yeah, my. I mean, my number two is Decision to Leave. Yeah, because I didn't. I mean, I had the experience of before, because usually during Christmas time, the whole kind of winter holiday season, I am just packed with work for a good month and a half. Yeah, and thankfully before that. I had some time off, you know, I was just chilling, doing nothing. I went to a local, our local theater, kind of, can-can, uh, can-can yeah. cinema, is it, how do you pronounce the bras? Brasserie? Yeah, can-can, uh, uh, which, if you're in the Indianapolis area, absolutely go to yeah. the can-can, it fucking rules, and my first film at can-can was Decision to Leave <laughs> at, like, 1.30 p.m. on, like, a Thursday, Nice. And even though being in that theater with like two other guys, that film was just it it's just one of those films where for me I went, Yep, it's a ten out of ten. <laughs> and I was thirty minutes in. I was like, it could change. It absolutely <laughs> can, but like the things this film is doing just reminds me of why I love Park Chan Wook, why yeah. I love his stuff, why the fact that like the this is an erotic thriller. That it's just, it could burn a house down with the tension between the two leads. (laughs) And it is not overly sexual. There are sexual scenes in the film. Slightly sensual sometimes, but it's not like a, it's not like a hot and heavy, really. Like, again, this is, I think a lot of people like myself who are aware of Chan Wook's uh, filmography, his last film before this was 2016's The Handmaiden, which is one of my favorite films of 2016. That film's also an erotic thriller. And that film is also horny as shit and has countless sex scenes. So going into this, when I heard it was an erotic thriller, I was like, okay, there's going to be a lot of sex. (laughs) And there's one scene. Yeah. (laughs) One scene that I can remember. It's very mild. But what's so great about the film is even with that in mind, this is still, in my opinion, out of all the other erotic thrillers that people talk about is like notable. This is probably one of the best in the subgenre. Mm-hmm. Because Park Chan Wook is just such a phenomenal writer and director and storyteller that even when a film you know is going to take that Sean Wook twist of like, oh, this is going to get sad, <laughs> <laughs> it still does in a way that it doesn't take away from building the relationships with the characters, the romance between them, their world. Yeah, I mean, you care about their occupations, who they talk to. It's a detective story that is just so engaging. Yeah. And it also just shows how it's just unfair to be this talented <laughs> across the board. It's great to see another Korean director who's been around for so long just show up again and just be like, oh, by the way, here's my new film. And it's like, well, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. And he's like, okay, bye. I'll see you later. And it's just <laughs> like he's so he's so enamored by this just the idea of connection and relationships and love in a uh, – I'm trying to think of just in an unsuspecting way. 
Just mm. like, especially because this is not really a spoiler because if you could look up at any synopsis, it's basically about a growing relationship between a detective and a woman whose husband has just surprisingly she's died. kind of a suspect in yeah, the case yeah. yeah basically a man has just died and she's a suspect in the case and there is a relationship that kind of forms forms with, between them that is very unusual yeah and is again a film that like even if you're just like ah, i don't know if i'm really into what this film is doing the film finds a way to be like oh shit never mind this film was doing exactly <laughs> what i wanted to do yeah and it's just a film that like as it ends you don't want to leave your seat while you also just want to run out of the theater as much as possible because your mind is moving a mile a minute. Yeah. Which is why it's completely understandable that not only is it lower on your list, it also is the fact that your experience, you just got so much, you just got overload. Sensory yeah, my overload. brain was done. <laughs> it's also a very, very creative film editing-wise. Oh, absolutely. It is, it is kind of wild because like... Park IFJA Wolf, runner-up for yes, best editing. Is. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> Which great choices this year. It was it was fun to watch all the winners and be like, I was surprised with Marcel being, yeah, you know, winning best animation. A little bit of a little bit of Marcel sweep going on. I should definitely watch that now. That was one of the films I had to cut for this. Very but, sweet. But yeah, Decision to Leave is a ten out of ten film. Again, Parchin Wook just comes in, just dumps a golden goose egg and fucking leaves <laughs> like it's no big deal. Uh, gosh, yeah, that's my number two. I'm. Let me think. Uh, my number two. Hold on, let me think. It's got. It's got planes. It's got a uh, trains and automobiles. Yes, it's, you got it. We got it's enough. it's got a mustache that one of Just our quit. one of our good friends hates that people say it looks like. Ah, uh, because he yeah. had it first. Yeah, and also it's a mustache that I think my brother definitely wants. <laughs> it's Top Gun Maverick, right? It is. It's the uh, yes, another much talked about. Movie this year, uh, yeah. Again, I, this is one of the reasons why I love doing these lists. It's number ten for me. It's number two for you. <laughs> yeah, this. Uh, wow, it's. Uh, I don't know. You're. You, you pick your favorite actor, director, writer, what have you. They make you know think piece films. That's cool. Tom Cruise makes fucking movies, man. Like he just I mean, he fucking does. gets up there on the big screen and says, I know what you want and I'm going to give it to you. And he gives it to you in the best possible way. And with director Joseph Kaczynski, absolutely killing it too. Um, I think they make for a really great pair in this. I don't know that, um, you know, this would necessarily be a, a movie Kaczynski would have would have or could have made without Cruz. I think Cruz is very instrumental in how this film just is. No, yeah. Um, I mean, out of all the people, because again, yeah, this was a film that Tony Scott, I think at one point, yeah, was attached to before was. his untimely suicide, his tragic yeah. suicide. And that I, it does not surprise me, too, that like it's basically like, why don't we get the guy that Tom really liked from Oblivion? Yeah. And yeah. just... Um, but yeah, this is... I mean, it's, it's a very... I think I think I might have written at one point. Uh, this is like straightforward, mo- you know, popcorn movie convention pushed to its like absolute oh, yeah. limits. Like, uh, it, it is. You have seen the plot in this movie before. Yes. Oh yeah. You have seen the Absolutely. character arcs in this movie before, but they're all done right, just to the perfect polished little bolt on the end like it's just they're so well done and it's not just a credit to tom cruise the stunt man the the you know uh gotta go bigger than last time guy the you know crazy nut job filmmaker that tom cruise is 
it's also Tom Cruise the actor. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss um, in his more recent stuff is just how good he is like in front of the camera in a tight shot, getting just a real mm-hmm. simple emotional beat and just making it perfect. Oh, yeah. Um, Again, listen, Cruz is a controversial figure. Oh, of course. Again, he's a Scientologist. It's understandable why you wouldn't like the person personally. Again, I don't like his religious beliefs. Sure. I think it makes him, yeah, it, it's, it like, makes When he's what, on screen, I don't give thing. a shit. That's the thing. When it comes to his filmmaking choices, when it comes to his choices of creatives to work with, the choices he makes and like, not even just Top Gun, fucking Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, like, yeah. The man just has an inkling. Have you watched the nine-minute no. behind-the-scenes video that he I, tweeted out today? I was, I, I saw that it was a thing, and I was like, "Listen, I'm gonna watch. It. I'm gonna be. I will be so excited because again, I love. It is r- literally required viewing for Mission okay. Impossible Seven. I'm so excited because again. Right no, but like with Tom Gunn, I get that because it is Maverick has thankfully not the added baggage of being the sixth film in a spy franchise. Right, right. It is a sequel to a film that doesn't need a sequel. <laughs> yeah. So when Tom shows up, a man who is constantly trying to become immortal in some way, shape, or form, yeah. and to see him play a character that goes like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this, and genuinely convey it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a it's, it's shocking. Like maybe the first movie to really kind of grapple with Tom Cruise's age. I think so. Um, yeah. In a meaningful way, and, and it's old, like, God, they they can only do it with they got Jennifer Connelly who's also aged phenomenally. <laughs> right, right. So it's like we had to get someone else who's also aged like a fine wine. Yeah. And yeah, there's just there's a lot of scenes in Maverick where it's like. God, I get not liking Cruz personally, but as a filmmaker yeah. and as an actor, he really does give a shit about Top Gun Maverick, and I cannot believe I'm saying that. I mean, everybody else in the movie is great too. I mean, it's just a really, it's a really well cast. Oh movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, Miles it, Teller is great, and he's another one that like rubs people the wrong way a lot of the time, and I get that sometimes he rubs me the wrong way, yeah. but he's he's really perfect in this role, um, as is. Uh, God, who's the guy who plays Hangman? Um, Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell, yeah. Oh, Glenn Powell. He's awesome. Oh, he's got I like shitting grin. I liked seeing that interview where he said Tom Cruise told him to lean into the douchebaggery of it. <laughs> oh yeah, it was like yeah, just be somebody that we're gonna hate. Just yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be worse Iceman. That's basically yeah, right. what he has to be. And right. that, again, like Andy said, this is basically following. You've seen this film before. It's basically the first Top Gun again to an extent. Yeah, it's kind of the first Top Gun. It's also kind of the first Star Wars. Um, (laughs) Shit, when you say it like that, it sounds silly as hell, but it's not wrong. At least the the third act of the latter half of it is. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's just... uh, I mean, the last time I said something like that was... uh, Ford v Ferrari, which Ford v Ferrari, not a movie I like as much as this, but I do really, really like that movie. I I love, Ford but v they're Ferrari. both just examples of like convention done so well with so much heart and so much. Oh yeah, I mean, I haven't even talked about the like care put into the spectacle of this movie, but obviously that is there because everybody's talked about it. Yeah, just um, again, you're never gonna see dogfights like in this movie. Uh, yeah, again, I completely understand. When people don't get the hype with Maverick, especially if your first time oh, yeah. seeing it is on streaming, if it's at home, especially if it's on your phone, that's criminal. You should not do that. <laughs> that really just no, in David Lynch's words, yeah. such a sadness. <laughs> 
But just be in a theater full of people, especially in an IMAX theater, which, again, not a lot of people do IMAX well. Right. So to see Tom Cruise actually fly a fucking jet and feeling the exhilaration of him actually flying said jet and shooting the jet shit. So they shoot the jet stuff better than the first film. A hundred percent. Like 5,000 percent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's a better looking film than the original. Uh, Yeah. It's still cheesy, but not as cheesy as the original. Right. And also has a good... I think a good take on mortality in the classic Top Gun way. Yeah, yeah. And in that kind of cowboy way. Yeah. You even get, you know, the beginning of the film does the exact beginning of the first film with the fucking Kenny Loggins. Right, 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 right. And also, you get a Lady Gaga Top Gun song right. that is like something out of 2006, and I yeah. fucking love it. It's so well done. <sighs> Again, it's a film that, like, I get it. If you don't see it in theaters, it is a much different experience, but that's why... If it ever gets re-released again, oh, you yeah, need to see it yeah. in theaters. It is it is something else to see that film in theaters. <sighs> Absolutely. But hell yeah, number two for you. Love yeah. it. So before we get, like Andy said, to our number ones, it's time for our honorable mentions. I'll go first because it's on this page here that goes. There it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got sound effects, folks. I do have sound effects. My number 15, I'm just going to do 15 through 11 okay. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My number 15 is Men okay. from Alex Garland. Yeah. That was a great time. That was a much different film than Garland is known for, and I'm glad he did something different because I think it you can see that energy on screen. It's a great horror film. It also has <laughs> pretty fucking gross. A really gross film, but also has a great uh performance by a single man that plays multiple <laughs> different roles in a beautiful way. Yeah. My yeah. number fourteen is on your top ten, but I still uh, love it. Barbarian. Okay, yeah. Still great, cut and dry, nasty in the best way possible. <laughs> My number thirteen is Gonna try and butcher it. Ruben Uslan's Triangle of Sadness. Oh yeah, I st- that was uh, one I missed. It's a great film. It's a lot. It's doing a lot, and I don't think it does every bit of it the same perfectly. But there are some shots in that film that are so dark and gross, but also f- so funny that they've <laughs> not left my brain. Yeah. So I give the film props to that. And my number twelve is Till. Oh yeah, the story of Emma Till, because again. For a story as tragic as the lynching of that poor boy, it is hard to think of a way to do that film without feeling exploitative or offensive or even feeling like you're dumbing down the narrative. And the film absolutely doesn't do that. Yeah. Well, and- it does it incredibly well and very, you know, impactful, also very uh, passionate. Yeah. Well, respectful. and t- t- it takes kind of aesthetically all the trappings of your sort of reverent bog standard biopic movie but then it it kind of pushes past that at a certain point and is more willing to like get gritty yeah. and and human with it and yeah. there's a couple choices in there um oh. that i just really really admire that i don't often see yeah. in this type of movie i think we both agree the middle part when it becomes when mm-hmm. mamie till becomes more an activist yeah is when it really starts to push <laughs> push and not pull punches yeah. with mean, the narrative there was and this commentary. There was five or ten straight minutes of this movie where my mouth was kind of hanging open because I was like, yeah. oh, they, wow, they're, yeah, they're committed yeah. to that part. We hear people... And no. rest assured, you do not see, like, what happens. Yeah, you don't see the lynching itself. You don't itself. see the action. Thank God. And yeah. which, which is, again, I understand why a lot of people 
when they heard they're making an Emmett Till film, like they're myself, like, were like, yeah, it's going to be, you're going to have to do a lot to not feel exploitive. And they don't. The director is yeah. phenomenal. She kills it. Mamie Till, the the actress who played her, it's been long enough. I can't remember her name off the top uh, of my Danielle head. Danielle Deadweiler. She deserves an Oscar nomination, in yeah. my opinion. She carries that film on her shoulders incredibly well. And it's a film that, if you're going like, I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Understandable, but you yeah. should still see it. It needs to be seen, in my opinion. And then to completely change tonally, my number eleven is turning red. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, the film that uh, Disney said, you know what? Strange World and Lightyear will go in theaters, but Turning Red, you're not good enough to go. <laughs> so you're Disney Plus only, womp, and guess womp. what? The movie's better than both. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, and also, props to Ludwig Ronson for that super 2000 score that he does for oh, that yeah. film. Yeah. Very, very well done. But well, yeah, that's my 15 to 11. Nice. Um, I'll round up my honorable mentions. Um uh doctor strange in the multiverse of madness yeah it was um, a great time f- follow up to uh the first one and a thousand other things um yeah sam raimi's back he has a lot of fun being sam raimi uh, in the marvel universe he- um i think this movie got kind of a lot of unnecessary shit from people but i kind of get why um, yeah i think the the way it handles the multiverse is a lot better than what i was worried it would do and it's for that same reason that other people don't like this movie because it didn't do what they thought it would do. Um, I'm glad it stayed out of the kind of super fan servicey way of doing it and yes. used it more as a tool for telling a story and for surprising yeah. the audience. Uh, this definitely feels like it. Again, we both have agreed on this podcast that Phase Four has been probably the bumpiest of roads for yeah, Marvel shaky. so far. Yeah, but I do think out of all these films, Multiverse of Madness, I think is a film that people will appreciate more the farther it gets away from the hype of the initial yeah. release because yeah. i th- i think that this was very much a movie fighting against or being like fighting being compared to the movie that people dreamed up in yes. their heads oh. kind of, is kind of a you know it's overdone at this point but kind of a last jedi situation I, where it's like there's the movie and then there's yeah. the movie that you thought it was going to be I, and like you got to separate I, those. I bet Feige during their like retreats for like writing new films or talking about what they want to do in other phases he just has a whiteboard and says writes on there how do we fight dreams <laughs> <laughs> how do we give them their dreams but also not the dumbest part of their dreams right yeah and has like a three-hour discussion about like the best way to fight an <laughs> idea <laughs> um but yeah, that's a fun one. I'd say yeah. it's a good choice. Yeah. I had a great time with it. Uh, 14 is a movie I, I'm i pretty sure you haven't seen. I'm not sure if it's been on your radar. Is uh, Soft and Quiet. No. It is a movie from first-time feature director uh, Beth de Araujo. I hope Ooh. I'm pronouncing that right. I hope so, too. Um, <laughs> thanks for your support. Um, well, we don't want to butcher non-American names. We genuinely try our best yeah and right I just, right I just, we are I trying give you all here. the love and respect i can um it's a this is a movie that is kind of best served knowing very little about it so i won't okay. tell you very much but um it's also a very hard movie so strap in um nice okay basically it's i don't know if it's a simulated one shot or an actual one shot movie but it's that kind of movie where it's a constant kind of moving camera <clears throat> all one sequence uh-huh. um basically a group of women get together to have their kind of like weekly tea time talks mm-hmm. um and 
feel that it's important to use this space to talk about ideas that they feel they can't share outside of this group. Um, okay. And okay. it ends up kind of spiraling into something much bigger and nastier Ooh. and darker oh. and <laughs> genuinely horrifying without actually being a horror. This is like... I don't want to say the scariest, but the most unsettling non-horror movie of the year. I hands oh, down. Oh, I was I was already on um, the list once you said like I can't tell you much about it. It's like <laughs> all right, it's, it's and it's I there's I've seen plenty of complaints about this movie that I totally get. It's not for everybody. It's very bleak, um, but I highly encourage anybody to watch it. Okay, absolutely. Um, uh, Thirteen ambulance. Uh, this is a, I still have yet to watch it, but <laughs> I, you are the biggest ambulance fan that I know. I'm not even the biggest fam- ambulance fan I know. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, what a fun time. It's just Mike. It's Michael Bay getting back to like the Bayhem that that he started with before, like Transformers. And yeah, that yeah, shit. yeah. It's it's stripped down. Um, you know, cops and robbers chase through the L.A. River. Uh, mean it's also uh simultaneous to a cop and robbers chase it's also like improvised gut surgery in an ambulance thing while they're running from the cops it's fascinating um some of the best like non hand-to-hand non-martial arts uh kind of fight coordination i've seen like like firefight type stuff firefights car chases all that stuff drone shots out the ass i was gonna say there's one um, shot that still is ingrained in my brain of like a drone going through explosions that is like yeah, that yeah. Is, what the fuck yeah no michael bay clearly heard about like online profession or like professional drone racing and was like i want to strap a camera to one of those and he yeah. did i'm gonna put an imax camera on one of those and drones i support his right to do that um yeah. number Absolutely. 12 uh very little movie small movie called what we do next uh, oh. Starring most notably or recognizably Corey Stoll, Karen Pittman, and someone who I've never seen before, Michelle Ventimiglia. Um, hmm. Short, I think it's like a 90 minute movie, um, very much like a drop you in without a lot of context and kind of unveil it over time. Three man play written and directed by Steven Belber. It's not a play, it's a movie, but um, yeah. Uh, basically, about like just the. the kind of trappings and limitations of the political system and like where activism where you have to or quote unquote have to check activism at the door in order to make it in politics and the <laughs> morals and okay. things you have to leave behind and it's just it's a really good movie that will burn your ass about the reality of politics everybody um, i do like Corey stall a lot that sounds yeah, yeah. That it's sounds wonderful it's an easy i mean easy tight watch um, okay Last one, number 11, Cha-Cha Real Smooth from director, oh, writer, wow, Cooper the, Rafe. That did come out this year. Yeah. Uh, he made a Shit House a couple years ago, which was like kind of a modern take on the sort of classic college movie. Um, now he's tackling young adulthood, like in mm. mid-20s, feeling like you've bottomed out or like you're not doing anything with your life. And yeah, he's just got a real unique, fun voice that a lot of people find annoying. I find it fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I, Dakota Johnson is great and also really hot in this movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of those movies that's like feel good, but also kind of depressing and kind of darker side of feel good. And I just, I, I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I remember you praising Shit House when you initially this saw it. This is better it, than Shit House. I'll say no, that. but that's the thing too is like I hearing you praise this one too. I completely because it's also in case no one knows out there, it's an Apple TV Plus yeah, film for the five of you who have Apple yeah, TV. Plus. Yeah, for the five of you that have it, and one of them is my parents. <laughs> As a collective group, not not two of the five are not my yeah. parents. They just decided to. It's also got Leslie Mann and. Uh, I didn't. Oh wait, are um, they his parents? Yeah, Gre- uh, Brad. Brad Garrett is. Yeah, oh. Brad Garrett's the stepdad, and Leslie Mann's the mom. That's a wonderful choice for both. <laughs> yeah, so um, those are my honorable mentions. Yeah, and there it is. We are we are almost done. I think we're gonna go right into you. I think you should you Me should say one. talk about your number one that we totally don't know what it is. <laughs> it's a mystery with three R's um, <laughs> because it's R R R. R R R. It is yeah the the, uh, the Hollywood blockbuster of I think it's the biggest Hollywood movie of all time. And by Hollywood, I'm speaking of a, a specific film industry in India. People always think of India as Bollywood. Bollywood is uh, Hindi films, Hindi yes. language films. Yes. It is or has traditionally been the largest, most kind of successful film industry uh, in India, certainly their biggest export. But recently, Telugu language films have become very popular, mostly thanks to um, a director known as uh, S.S. Rajamuli, who directed mm-hmm. this movie, starring two of India's biggest stars. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a three-hour historical epic romance movie, action, musical, dance it's uh, fantasy it's, like, it's amazing it's like um, every it's every genre except for maybe horror right yeah it, it just there's does like not everything. an ounce of horror in this movie yeah, but um it, yeah it's a it's an anti-colonial epic movie um basically about um british colonization in india in the uh early 20th century is, isn't it basically both the leads are two historical figures that actually never met they're yeah, two very significant revolutionary figures in India who if they met, it's like not documented and they most yeah. like their their time active and alive barely overlaps. So it's yeah. like very unlikely that But what if any they of did? The, yeah, it's kind of like a fanfic of like what if Abe Lincoln and George Washington teamed up against the Brits or whatever. Um and uh yeah, it's the the fight choreography is stunning and ridiculous. The cinematography of it is super kind of wide and bold-faced and glorious. You've got one of the best, maybe the best dance number of the year in this movie. Um, mm. Banging score. Not to, not to. Yeah, not to, not to is phenomenal. Banging score. Um, God, what else? Uh, two phenomenal lead performances from Ram Charan and N.T. Rama Rao. Yeah. Uh, God, it, it really, it really. It's deserves. a lot of movie. It it's is a lot of movie, but it's like you said, it's like the fastest three hours you'll ever watch. It, it felt like ninety minutes. I mean, you it, get ninety minutes into this movie, and you get a set piece that would be most other movies' final finale. set piece, and then it goes and has three more of those in the second half, and yeah. it's like, wow. I was okay. gonna say the, the, it. It's like there's this big climactic scene that could also be the cliffhanger for the next film in the series, yeah. and then there's a fucking intermission. And, and then, then they're like, another... we're going to show you that next film. Yeah, and then we're going to do that next film now. And you don't know how much that is so refreshing until you see that. This genuinely feels like a thousand-plus page book brought to film in the yeah. fastest way possible. Yeah. 
and in a way that is still enjoyable. Right. <laughs> and not overbearing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think this along with um, everything everywhere all at once speaks a lot to kind of the, the refreshingness and value of movies that are like big, you know, boisterous movies mm-hmm. that are wholehearted and open face and entirely uncynical because um, this movie doesn't have a shred of irony in it no or, or like kind of winking at the camp i mean i guess there's winking but it's in a different sort of way um but just so much genuine emotion and wholesome relationships and uh it, just genuine love for everything is, going on in the movie. it is doing at its at its lowest in our, our is doing at its lowest what Fast and Furious tries to do at its best right. at times. Right. Like RRR is a film that is entirely it's not it's not eleven, it's at fucking twelve <laughs> for three hours. Yeah. Yet it does it with just a sincerity of like, yeah, we know this is silly, but we're not gonna make fun of this because why wouldn't this just be fun yeah. by itself? Like yeah. in concept. Again, one of the biggest one of the opening scenes, an introduction to one of our characters is like a one versus 100 fight. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's with sticks. Will, and it's yeah. incredible. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't go, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop being creative. It doesn't yeah. stop being fun and silly in a wholesome way, and in an earnest it, way. It somehow rides that line of like, it doesn't give a single flying fuck about realistic physics or action and at the same time it doesn't feel like it's breaking its own rules or like going so far over that you don't worry about the characters livelihoods like they could still lose they could still die you know yeah the stakes still feel there even though it's going so far beyond the realm of reality it's it's phenomenal Um, it's so so much fun and also i will now only accept a live-action Dragon Ball adaptation from S.S. Rajamuli, Ram Charan, and N.T. Ramaram yeah, as Goku, Goku and Vegeta, Vegeta <laughs> respectively. Yes, honestly. It's also been fun to see Rajamuli talk about, just because the film is doing so well still, yeah. popularity-wise, what he would want to do next. Because, again, RRR is fucking insane in the best way. And the ideas he has thrown out for what he could do next are also fucking insane. So <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait to see... And I cannot yeah. only wait to see what he does next, but also see more... You know, Bollywood love as well as Tollywood love coming right. out of people seeing more films, being like, "Holy shit, this is this is a foreign market that has always been here, but hasn't right. been as tapped as it could be." Yeah. So yeah. it's good to see RRR just kind of show up and be like, "Hey, this is like an event." Yeah. This is an event yeah. film. And <laughs> yeah. Well, and I should note, uh, since we're at our number ones, uh, this was the winner of the IFJA Best Foreign Language Film and the runner-up for Best Film. It was. Yes, it was. And the the winner of the IFJ Best Film, I think, is about to be brought up again. Yeah, everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's my number one film. Yes. Again, we talked about it. I talked about it last year, and I think I probably talked about it the year prior. When it comes to number ones for me, usually they're the easiest films to pick on top oh, tens yeah. because a lot of the times you just there is a film that just hits to your core in a way that whether you get extremely emotional or it's just like you just constantly can't stop thinking about it you just go this is my favorite thing i've seen all year and i can't get this can't get out of my head last year that was the green knight this year completely different type of film but in the same vein is everything everywhere all at once it's the only film this year to make me cry multiple times (laughs) in a single viewing 
It is a film that has such a heart, such an essence and excitement to it that you don't see in a lot of films today, especially in bigger films. And again, it's not like bigger films can't have heart. I do think the reason why the MCU is still around and not doing a clean slate like DC right. is because of the heart. But Which nobody seems to acknowledge. No, but at the same time, I just it's clear watching everything everywhere all at once that the Daniels are just very clear, like, listen, like the most classic films from the eighties, the nineties, and even before that, a lot of those films are considered classics, especially modern classics today are considered that because they are fucking weird and they accept it. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take away from the emotional aspects of the film because this film deals with acceptance, regret, optimism versus pragmatism, uh, just nihilism and deals with, you know, constant work i mean it's just such a dense film but does it in the most unique fun creative way possible to the degree where it's like if you to me a number one film of any year should be a film that people go like well if you could only watch one film what would it be (laughs) and to me it's this like everything everywhere as much as i loved swiss army man and i was caught off guard by Mm -hmm. the emotions in that film about a farting corpse (laughs) i genuinely was just I I just flabbergasted by just how the film didn't stop getting better and better. Yeah. Because at a certain point in the film, I loved it. Similar to Decision to Leave, I was like, this is a 10 out of 10, but I got worried. So I was like, with a film like this, it could could be too overbearing in its comedy or silliness or Or what it's doing this. Maybe be too schmaltzy and too over, like too sentimental. And to be honest, it's none of those things. It is. Every single aspect of this film, tonally, performance-wise, um, narrative, just uh, idea, everything lines up perfectly. Yeah, like it just it you. It's the easiest needle, like thread to needle, like needle to thread through this. Right, it is right. so. It's such a phenomenal film that, like, genuinely, like. <sighs> I, I could watch it a thousand times, and I I want to watch it a thousand times. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's well. Yeah, and I mean, if this is, I think when you're in the year that you're talking about, you know, the you're you're still in the 2022. We're talking about 2022 movies. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to think about like, you know, where will all these movies I'm talking about be in 20, 30, 40 years? Yeah. Like, will oh yeah, we still be talking about them? Will I cool on them over time? This really feels like a movie. That, like immediately, you can kind of tell this is a movie that like 30 years from now teenage cinephiles are going to be like oh have you seen everything everywhere all at once you got to yeah. go watch that's a classic like no yeah it, like, it i think it also is the fact that like it's it's experience as a film in the modern market has also just been phenomenal yeah shocking because again a lot of there are a lot of films like everything everywhere where it's like a lot of people love them they come out critics critically does phenomenal and then it flops <laughs> it doesn't make its money back it just gets pushed to the side yeah. And people find it as cult classics, and you see posts on Reddit about, hey, did anyone else see this little old film? <laughs> right. Well, as with everything everywhere, not only did it get love, it deserved, it got the money, and then some yeah. that people expected it to get. It's, I think, A24's highest grossing film in theaters. It got the love yeah. uh, across the cast and the crew. Like, Daniels now have a studio deal. <laughs> they signed like a picture deal with the studio because of how big this film got. Yeah. 
I mean, Michelle Yeoh is icon of the year. Yeah, she's awesome. Ki Kwan is just, he shows up for the first time in years, and now no one can stop talking about him and giving him awards <laughs> because he is the most wholesome man yeah. on the planet right now. And also, Stephanie Hsu. Hsu, Hsu. She is, uh, to go from, like, she has, like, a bit role in Shang-Chi, and I, I like her, what I've seen in her other mm-hmm. stuff, but, like, to see her come into everything everywhere to stand amongst Quan and Yo and just be just as phenomenal yeah, as really juggernauts as though as they are in, in like icons as they are in my mind. Because Quan's an icon. Yeah. Yes, he's short round and it's been <laughs> years and he's also data, but he's still an icon to me, <laughs> damn it. It's just and with the Daniels and yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis and the fact that like it's such a phenomenal multiverse film that when you go into multiverse of madness while well, it's doing a completely different thing, it's just shocking to think that like yeah, the A twenty four film just went even more ham than I expected the Marvel <laughs> film to go, which right, is weird. Right. But yeah, everything everywhere is just exactly what I want in a film that's in theaters, especially at a time where like people are slowly coming back or waiting for the event films. Yeah. It's hard to get people to get excited for a film that isn't got Tom Cruise trying to kill himself again <laughs> or a Marvel film or a superhero film, but it's films like this where it's like shit. Cinema is still fucking there and i love uh, this right. is why i love movies yeah and and he, of course rr also deserves that i love <laughs> rr was also like a damn i love movies right but, right yeah everything everywhere all at once is my favorite film of 2022 yeah and that is the year that is this is our last podcast of the year yeah we don't have time for any more no no because uh i actually as you are listening to this i'm actually going to break a little bit oh, we no. are we are Breaking not re- this is the only time truly and i'm totally not lying the only time we're not recording live because while this <laughs> episode is released i will be on vacation for the rest of the year yeah. a much needed vacation in my opinion and i won't we will not have another episode until probably mid-january we're still trying to figure out the date for when we're going to come yeah, back but, but we do have a very special we have a frequent in mind yeah. that when I brought this up to that Andy, shall remain nameless. it will remain nameless because we love it to be a surprise. But when <laughs> I told Andy that this could be a frequent idea, he shivered. Yeah. And that's when I knew we had to do it. It's because it's a very cold series. It's a very cold series. It's a very, it's a different thing for us. This is going to be a first for us in yeah. terms of what this frequent is going to be about. Won't but be the last. It will not be the last. And it'll be just a wonderful, odd way to kick off 2023. <laughs> So tune in in January when we have our special frequent surprise. But until then, thank you so much for listening. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And a Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. <laughs>